Please open your Bible if you haven't already on Psalm 150, the last Psalm of the Psalter. What a blessing it is to be able to read the Word of God, listen from it, be fed by it, challenged, encouraged. Let us do so with the reverence. I'm reading from the New King James, so if there is any difference, that's the reason. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty firmament. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise Him with the lute and harp. Praise Him with the timbrel and dance. Praise Him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to, to be here once more with the beloved Grace Presbyterian Church, Lord. I pray that you would be with all of us. I pray that uh, you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts. May they be pleasant in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. It is always refreshing for me to be in a pulpit and look over a congregation and see children in the worship services. This is very very good. This is indeed the nursery of the Holy Spirit, I have no doubt, as the Lord powerfully uses the means of grace to change lives from the youngest to the oldest among us. So I, I want to address you, children. I want to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Have you thought about that? What do you want to be when you grow up? You don't need to answer out loud. Just think about it. Perhaps a doctor? Um a lawyer, or if you like some good adventures, a pastor, a professional athlete. I thought about that for some time. A businessman, maybe a mom or a dad, or something that you envision for your future. For all of us who are grown up, what are you doing with your life? What are you seeking to accomplish on a daily basis? What are you pursuing? Who are you trying to become? My dear parents, what do you want for your children? What are you encouraging them to become? You know, these reflections have occupied the minds of so many. And I believe that our consideration and concern, concerns about the future um, has occupied much more than they should of our thoughts. There's a more pressing and often neglected question that we don't think quite often. And the question is, who all of us are meant to be? And these Psalms speak to that. So let me answer that for you. You are worshiping creatures. Uniquely equipped by the creator of everything as his image bearers. And by the revelation that He has given you, the Scriptures, to worship Him, the right God, 
in the right way. What do you think the reason is for the question for, about a future occupation takes so much of our attention, uh, either about yourselves or your children? Sometimes, maybe. I want to suggest that to you tonight. Maybe it's because you have forgotten the centrality of your primary and underlying present and constant duty and identity. What a charge word today. As a worshiper. One who was born to praise God through every fiber of your being. The book of Psalms is famously known as a book of praises and it demonstrates in various ways that praise should penetrate and punctuate your entire life. John Calvin famously said, uh, describing the book of Psalms as the anatomy of a believer's soul because it portrays all the reflexes of the human soul to God's greatness and to the vicissitudes of this life. Here in this book we will find uh, praise, we will find prayers, petitions, dark, deep, even sometimes depressing lament, thanksgiving, expressions of trust and confidence. You find hymns, all sorts of things. And these last five psalms of the Psalter are known as the Hallel Psalms. And the reason for that is that they all start with a Hebrew word that you were familiar with. Perhaps you didn't know it, but it's Hallelujah. They all start and end with this word. That means praise the Lord. So in this way, these psalms, they conclude the Psalter in a very vibrant note of praise. And in Psalm 150, having reached the pinnacle of the Psalter's mountain, if you will, we now, as one said very well, as it is not unusual for him, Spurgeon rise into the clear azure and its brow is bathed in the sunlight of eternal world of worship. This psalm is a rapture. The poet prophet is full of inspiration and enthusiasm. He stays not to argue, teach, or explain, but he cries with burning words, praise him, praise him, Praise ye the Lord. And I want you to grasp the prophetic aspect of this psalm. If you have never read Revelation 5, I would suggest that when you go home, you do so. And I want you to take that scene of the universal praise uh, as almost like the fulfillment of Psalm 150. To the point that you are now being called to see your life as the title of this message suggests. A warm-up for heaven. For if there's one thing that will never end is worship, and especially corporate worship. I thoroughly appreciate the way Augustine described this psalm. He calls this psalm the voice of life everlasting. And what we're going to see here in this psalm is that since God is good is great and does great things, he must be praised everywhere by everyone and with everything they have. If, since God is great and does great things, he must be praised everywhere by everyone with everything that 
they have. And these are the three things that we're going to see as you have in the simple outline that you were given in your order of worship. Let us begin then uh, asking the question, where to praise God? Verse 1. And the short answer is, everywhere. And the long answer is, you see here in the text, in his sanctuary, which is a reference to his earthly temple tabernacle structure in the Old Covenant. There is some debate if this refers to the heavenly places or to the earthly tabernacles. But in the context of this psalm, and he's talking about our activities as human beings and the places that we engage in worship the Lord, uh, it's, it makes more sense to me that he's referring to, uh, of, to the early, earthly sanctuary, especially if you observe uh, verses 3 through 5. He's talking about the context of human activity, and we are yet to be there in the real place, at least physically since we are there spiritually right now, mediated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, even referring to the earthly sanctuary, Scripture wants us to be mindful that that sanctuary for them was an expression of the Heavenly One. And, and, and also the New Testament wants us to know, as I've preached for you before, that we are now in the heavenly places with Christ, worshiping God as being brought by the true worship leader, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the heavens here are described as God's dwelling places. Place. The holiest place, the sanctuary then, epitomizes His presence on earth. Almost as if it was a door of entrance into the gates of heaven, as the drawings even on the veil on the temple would indicate to the worshipers. What is more, understanding this sanctuary here in verse 1, to refer to the earthly sanctuary, and then when you join his sanctuary with the following expression here, praise him in his mighty firmament, we have here a construction that keeps up with the overall structure of this psalm. And, as, and what I mean here is simply that. Praise the Lord everywhere. In the sanctuary here on earth and in the heavens above, you see. Here we have a biblical foundation for the doxology that we so often sing as we worship the Lord. Praise Him, O creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Heaven and earth, united to give praise to the Lord whose glory fills them all. And since His glory fills it all, if but one particle of the created order fails to render praises to Yahweh, it is simply robbery. But although in the Old Covenant there was a central place, a specific location that God had ordained that the public acts of worship should be conducted, and now we gather, as I already hinted, around the living temple of God, even the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, as He has become the true where of our worship. The living temple... He is, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form, Colossians 2.9. He's the God-man through whom heaven and earth are said to have kissed one another, Psalm 85. And He's the one who brings us to the heavenly places 
every Lord's Day as we gather to worship. You see, while the priest would weekly bring Israel to worship the living God in the holy place, as I've preached here before in Leviticus 24, 1 through 9, and the stones in his garment would indicate his role in guiding the people through the temple. The mediator of a new and better covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is bringing those united to him by faith to the actual holiest place in heaven. And in light of that, why would you be anywhere else? Why would you have your family anywhere else? Do you consider each Lord's Day worship? Just another event that happens every week and thus neglectable. Perhaps you consider other events more significant because they happen only once a year. It is sad for me to note that there is a particular sports event that sometimes causes people to neglect what is best in this life. Has worship become boring to you? Has it ceased to be the highlight of your week and let, let I say of your existence? If it ever was, if that's the case, I must warn you, it is my duty to do so. Heaven might be a very boring place to you. Because that is what is going to happen there. It will be an eternity of unceasing praises to the Lord. If there is where you want to spend your eternity, wouldn't it make sense for you to adjust and train your heart accordingly? Christian, uh, Jesus promised to be with us every Lord's His day in a special way. He promised to be among us, orchestrating the praises of His people whom he is not ashamed to call his brethren. Hebrews 2, quoting Isaiah 8, Here am I and the children God the Father has given me. Christ is the where of our hallelujahs in our new covenant worship. Uh, since we are not tied to a particular place under heaven, instead in him and by the Spirit, we are taken to heaven itself to worship in spirit and truth. Meaning in reality. In the heavenly places. Therefore, may this church be marked by praises that overflow the glories of y'all's union with God the Son. And may this praise affect all of those around you. And may it be our glory as nothing else is. So that if maybe a visitor comes here, he can say, God is among his people. There is something unique. There's something very desirable. And since the way of our worship is marked by the fact that we are united with Christ, regardless of a building, and since God is seeking worshipers to worship Him in spirit and truth, we join Him in this mission of His, of seeking worshipers, as we have our great commission, don't we? Mission exists. As one preacher said, because worship doesn't. That's the goal. That's the pushing force. That's the thing that keeps the, 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 the desire for missions moving. A God-centered impetus. That's the word I was looking for. 
This alone will guarantee a God-honoring outcome in how we discharge the duty of mission. We don't do missions simply out of pity for men. And although we should have compassion as our Savior had for those who are like sheep not having a shepherd, the driving force of missions should be a zeal for God's glory to be displayed through His name being praised everywhere. And as we think about missions, one central thing that we do in mission is telling people why they should praise God, isn't it? And this brings us to our second point. Why praise God? Verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Although this expression, mighty acts, encapsulates the idea of Him creating everything out of nothing, as you see, for example, in Job 26. It is mainly associated in the book of Psalms with his mighty deeds of salvation. Thus the people sang in the deliverance from Egypt, culminating in the drowning of Pharaoh's hosts in the Red Sea, Exodus 15. You see, Hannah sang for the Lord's mercy in her life, bringing forth Samuel, through whom King David would come in. First Samuel 2, David who himself composed much of the book of Psalms. And then when David's son and David's Lord came, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, his mother Mary sang. And through that messianic king and his work, Jesus' work on the cross, God has performed the greatest of all his mighty acts, hasn't he? He united divine and human nature in one person so that that person would be uniquely equipped to be the just and the justifier of His people. He would be just for He would pay the penalty that sins deserve. And He would be the justifier because He would be the one doing the payment. What wondrous love is this, oh my soul. And at this point, I hope you have realized that this psalm, albeit short, encapsulates so much and is meant to drive us to meditation. And your meditation should lead you to action as you have moved ahead to the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Does Christ's work still amaze you, dear believer? You see, we praise Him for the great things that He has done, but not only for that, also for who He is, according to His excellent greatness. We don't praise the Father for sending Jesus as if Jesus were some sort of spiritual vending machine from where we can draw some justification here to deal with our guilt and some sanctification there when we need a life change. But God Himself is who is offered and is the gospel. The gospel is God becoming ours in Christ and we becoming His, having been sealed by the Spirit. All through the unbreakable new covenant that is established in the flesh and in the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. Is He your Redeemer, my friend? If He is, you will, by His Spirit, cry out, Abba, Father, in prayerful praise. 
And as a triune God who is love himself, uh, the only reason why God can be love is because he's Father, Son, and Spirit. Because he was a Father who loved the Son and the Spirit from eternity past. His presence would give you this, would bring you into this eternal and unbreakable chain of love that will undoubtedly resound in powerful and penetrating praise. Too deep for words sometimes. It is the presence of the living God in you that gives you life. And where there is life, there is praise. It is the dead who prays no more, Psalm 115. It was the presence of God in Exodus. It was the presence of God in the conquering of Canaan. It was the presence of God in, ba in Babylon with his faithful remnant. It is the presence of God through His Spirit in you alone that can save you. If you haven't, would you receive Him today? You must, and after having received Him, you must never graduate of the cross, dear Christian. For the cross uh, encompasses it all. It is not only the mightiest of God's redemptive acts, but it also displays in a very harmonic way who God is. It displays His love, but also His justice. It displays His wrath over His Son, but also His mercy. All in one place. I must say that the tragedy, at least for me, is that so little of the glories of the cross kept through my heart every day. And that is why there are so few spontaneous hallelujahs overflowing for me. Because surely if the cross in all its glory were planted every day in your hearts, your whole beings would be hallelujahs of glorifying and enjoying the Lord forever. Just like the Apostle Paul when he's explaining the glories of God, the excellence of His greatness, and, and, and all the implications of His mightiest act, the gospel of God, as, as He refers to. He bursts forth in doxology, in praise, as He concludes the doctrinal portion of the letter to the Romans. Oh, the death and the riches of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For of Him and through Him and unto Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. And can we ever praise this God enough in one lifetime only? I don't think so. But we are called to die trying. And live eternally trying in heaven. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Praises to my King. Third, see with me how to praise God. Verses 3 through 5. The greatness of this God, you see, summons our whole beings and everything that we possess to be rendered to His praise. The point of these verses here, verses 3 through 5, is not to regulate corporate formal temple or tabernacle worship as we have no indication at all in the old testament that these instruments were used some of these instruments at least were used in the context of formal worship it is not supposed to regulate what we call lord's day public worship you see 
even within the context of these last five psalms called the Hallel Psalms, particularly here, if you go one page with me back, Psalm 149, you read of dances too in verse 3 of Psalm 149. And if this verse on Psalm 150 is dealing with public worship, so is the previous chapter, for they're all encompassing the same contextual field, you see. Remember, there are the Hallel Psalms. And what would that entail? Keep your Bible there in Psalm 149. Keep reading there. Not only dance, but verse 5. Let the saints sing aloud in their beds. Verse 6. And with a two-edged sword in their hands. Well, I hope there's not a plan for a service here. People are going to be sword badly, bringing their beds and sharpening swords in their beds, I guess. So we see that that's not dealing with formal worship. Uh, we must also remember that the context of application even of Psalm 150 goes beyond the sanctuary. Remember where to praise God, the psalm says, everywhere. And while for us it is not problematic to make a worship service outside, wherever we are, for them it would be a major issue. They ought to do formal public worship in the temple tabernacle structure. They had not that liberty. So these things cannot be talking about formal worship as some people try to put forth. Well, this list of instruments serves a purpose. And the purpose, I believe, is to evoke memories in the minds of the Hebrew people. Memories connected with various events in their history. Encompassing various spheres of their lives, all adding up to the totality of their existence, that should be spent praising God. For great and national and sacred occasions, they would have the trumpet blast. Leviticus 25, Psalm 81.3. For simple and daily music making with the string instruments, you have the example right in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 4.21. The celebration of military victories, you would see the timbrel and dance. Exodus 15, Judges 11, 2 Samuel 6. And what the psalm is doing here at this point is gaining momentum as an avalanche. Where do we praise people? Everywhere. Why? Because he's great and does wonders. How? With everything that we have. Even here as the description goes in verse 5, we can almost see the psalmist uh, raising his voice. Praise him with loud symbols. Praise him with clashing symbols. And you see, this sets the tone for the culminating peace and the call of not only this psalm, but of the whole Psalter. And not only of the whole Psalter, but of the whole Scripture and which is also the culmination of history itself, as you see when you read Revelation 5. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Verse 6, which is our last and final point. Who is to praise God? Verse 6. Notice that it's not simply everyone, but everything. Every creature in heaven and on earth earthly or heavenly, the whole cosmos is here called to worship the Lord who created them for His glory. Isaiah 43, 
verse 7. You human beings, you received breath from the Lord and then became, as a result of that, living beings. Genesis chapter 2. And I can't help but think of how you tend to withhold your breath from singing praises for Him, don't you? Remember, our songs are meant to be a joyful noise. Psalm 100. Uh, so why do we hold back? Hands on the pocket, um, tongue between the teeth, no sound, no exuberant joy. Why is that? Uh, all our actions of praise are to be marked, to use the Heidelberg Catechism language, by a heartfelt joy, which is, by the way, a fruit of the Spirit on everyone whom He has made a new creature. Yes, minor tunes are often appropriate. There are downs in this life under the sun, and the book of Psalms accounts for those too. But the dominant, and for our purposes, concluding note of this Psalter, of our worship services, and of the whole of our existence in the face of God, is to be an exuberant praise to God everywhere with everything that we have especially with our voices for he is a great god who alone does great things psalm 72 isn't that going to be the dominating note of new create new creation as i have mentioned already in the renewed cosmos all of us together pulsating with a single heart devotion totally transformed by the one spirit we will cry out in perfect unison maybe some of you are going to be in tune hallelujah praise the lord he reigns forever and little children let me talk to you again this call to worship the Lord is for you too. Don't wait until you can understand everything that is in the hymn book. You don't need that. Sing and sing with joy. From the mouth of children, God has ordained strength. Psalm 8, verse 2. And considering all of this, my brothers and sisters, the psalmist once again summons us. As if he knows us that we are so forgetful. Again, praise the Lord. And there is something profoundly meaningful when I say that the psalmist is calling us to do that. For you know, ultimately, it is God who summons us to worship him through his servants. In this case, the psalmist. But I frequently wonder if the psalmist could have known as much as you know about God's greatest mighty act in the cross of Calvary. They could only look for afar, through shadows and types, but you have the substance and reality, don't you? And what excuse do you have, Christian, to, pray, to praise less fervently, frequently and faithfully than any believer in the Old Testament anyone considering just the fact that you live on the other side of Calvary let alone the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecost I guess the only question to be answered now is do you believe the gospel 
Well, what more does God need to do? Other than becoming a suffering servant, making himself of no reputation, humbling himself to the death and the cursed death of the cross, and all of that so that you may live. And you still persistently and insistently try to kill yourself through your sins, but he won't allow you to do that. For he's mighty to save indeed. I can't help, as I was preparing this message, to think about uh, videos that I have seen of people uh, in poor countries, especially when they receive a bunch of food, stuff that they never saw before. What are their facial expressions? Thanks. Let me look another page in the hymn book. Oh, yeah. They're exuberant with joy, aren't they? Their facial expressions change. Tears, joy, I get. We are all different in temperament. Not all of you are loud as I am. But we still are to have something, aren't we? Uh, what do you think you have received in the gospel? They have received food, mainly from very wealthy people, sometimes corporation, to whom it didn't hurt at all to be a little bit gracious. But your salvation cost the blood of the living God himself. And we reformed people who have such great theology and understand better than most. Yes, we do. Most of the contemporary churches, the death of this wonderful mystery should be the last ones to engage in any dull, boring worship services. We should be the last ones to live in our daily lives in a gloomy way. Don't you see? We are the ones, after all, who have been brought back from our spiritual exiles. And we just should leave, indeed, like those who dream, who have their mouth, therefore, filled with laughter and their tongues with singing. Psalm 126. What greater thing does the Lord need to do for you to be joyful in all areas of your life? Moreover, our worship services should embody the gratitude, surrender, and joy of having been bought at the highest of costs. It is that kind of worship that will overflow to your life and cause you to praise God from the sanctuary to everywhere under His mighty heavens as you walk and do whatever the Lord has called you to do as your lawful calling in the power of the Spirit of the living God. It is that kind of worship that will cause you to give your all to the Lord, who one day will join you to that multitude that is described in Revelation 5 that none can number. It is that kind of worship that even in the valleys of your life will enable you to see God's grace and mercy more brightly and even amidst your tears. Because they will come. I can, I can guarantee you that. But even amidst that, you, you can still render Unto the Lord your hallelujahs. Since God is great and thus great things. Everyone. You must praise him everywhere. And with everything that you have. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord. What a, what a privilege we have to be a people of your choosing. To be transformed, renewed every day by your mercies. Oh Lord, you have given us so much more that we can even understand. 
And Lord, we still get amused with other things in this life. Help us not to act like fools or having diamonds be fighting over rocks. Help us to be guided by your word. Be filled by your spirit. Give us more of it, Lord. Oh, Lord, we need it. And we do not ask. And that's often our problem. We do not seek. So how could we find? Help us to seek you, Lord, as if our lives, lives would depend on it. Because in fact they do. Teach us that. Bring that to our memories. Help us to be a praise, praising people. Not only here. Yes, here too. But everywhere. Help us to give you everything that we have. And when we don't, help us to go after you. So that we may strengthen our backs. And once again, take off the burdens from our lives. As Christian did. As he was as a pilgrim to the celestial city. Thank you for taking us away from the city of destruction and guide us in the way that we should go. You are indeed a good God. Therefore, you show sinners your ways. This we pray in the matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.